1: Later today, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, will stand up in Parliament and deliver the Economic and Fiscal Spring Forecast, during which we should get some idea of what the government plans to do about the burgeoning cost of living
2: crisis. The latest figures today show shoppers have been hit by the highest price
3: rises in almost 10 years. This is a real decline in living standards and it's going to hurt.
1: The prices of goods and services have been rising steadily and therefore inflation with them. But why? And how bad is it likely to get?
2: We think that inflation will peak later, like in the summer, and for longer because all of these pressures are building and what's happening in Ukraine, that's all going to add to it.
1: Trouble is with economies, it's like whack-a-mole. You solve a problem here and create another somewhere else.
3: Inflation can be controlled, and it has been controlled, but it usually has a cost, and usually that cost is felt by those who are worst off.
1: You're listening to Stories of Our Times, on The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, the cost of living crisis. A nation feels the pinch.
2: I'm Ashley Armstrong. I'm retail and mergers and acquisitions editor on the Times business team, which means that I cover everything to do with retail, which is really everything that you can buy. I like to refer to it as from Burberry to B&M bargains.
1: (laughs) I take it you're handing Chelsea over to sports.
2: I've helped dip in a little bit on Chelsea. Have you? Uh, Yeah, yeah. I had my first back page Uh, a couple of weeks ago so i don't think my dad would have ever seen that coming
1: (laughs) (laughs) now look i'm a shopper just like you're a shopper so i notice certain things going on when i'm shopping sometimes things happen and i don't notice what is the picture with prices for everyday goods that a really price sensitive shopper is going to be noticing
2: Call it till shock. I think that's happening already. And it's happening in everyday life on pretty much everything from tomatoes to coffee, tea bags, even somebody was saying toilet seats. It's all going up. and, And these are things because... We are creatures of habit, essentially, most shoppers. And especially when it comes to our groceries, we tend to buy the similar sort of things week in, week out. So we know when the, the price of bread has gone up by 10 pence, 20 pence, especially when it comes to filling up our car, you know, what it was the last time we, we filled up. And it really is across the board on, on everything now.
1: Two words you've used. I've never heard before. Till shock.
3: Till it's shock, like yeah.
2: That. It's what retailers really try to avoid. But it's that sense of like, oh my gosh, when you get to the checkout and... The checkout assistant says it's that much, and it is significantly more than what you were thinking of.
1: And that's likely to happen, really, when a lot of goods have gone up by s- mm. some noticeable amount.
2: If we think about our food shop, and, and that's one that we all have to do. <laughs> you know, supermarket industry in Britain is intensely competitive, and Helped by the likes of Aldi and Lidl, there has been real pressure on the big four, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Asda and Morrison, to keep their prices low. So what they've all been doing is price matching um, against each other for years. So depending on which way you cut it, they might say, oh, our prices are cheaper. We're not seeing inflation or we're not seeing inflation anywhere near what the industry averages. Grocers sell thousands and thousands of products and consumers only tend to pick about 40 in their basket. And if those 40, if 30 of them have gone up, that still means it's more expensive on your weekly shop.
1: Yeah. And now, is it all types of shops and retail outlets or just mainly supermarkets?
2: No, it really is everything. We've had the likes of DFS, which is the furniture retailer, saying that they're seeing inflation at about 6% and that's been passed on to consumers. IKEA said that inflation is at 9%. And They're all trying to say, oh, we will still be value for customers. And value for customers really means we will be good value compared to our competitors. And if everybody is increasing their prices, then it means that everybody can be value for customers because the base level has just got that bit more expensive.
1: Um, Now, this has a very interesting consequence for me. I'm thinking of going out and buying quite an expensive table Mm. at John Lewis's. It might well be that that table is cheaper this week than it's going to be in two weeks' time?
2: It depends, actually. If it's products that are already in the shop, then it's actually trickier for them to increase the prices on things that are already on the shop floor. It tends to be when it's more shop collections. So, for example, in fashion, you're not going to see a dress that was on the shop floor at £20, suddenly becoming £25 the next week, it tends to be on the next season's ranges. So if you think, oh, I'll put off a few months, there might be a very similar table that is suddenly 10% more expensive.
1: Whereas, let's say it's a jumbo size loo roll at the supermarket, that might actually benefit me to buy two of those rather than one because it could go up.
2: we had a bit of this last year of chewing some of the kind of stockpiling pressures of covid I don't want to cause a rush on stockpiling madness again, but prices are going up. So stock up your cupboards because, you know, you are already seeing it. It's already happening. And and we think that prices will go up by at least 10 to 15 percent on food this year.
1: And in other consumer areas than food?
2: Yes, the aftermath of the pandemic, we're seeing that real hangover that is affecting everything. So furniture, toys, electronics, definitely, all that supply chain squeeze from shipping delays that we saw and higher wages and transport costs, and not least the extra price of fuel. Because when we're thinking of heating our houses, all these businesses are having to heat and keep running warehouses and factories, and that's all adding to the cost. So. I'm afraid to say I can't think of any area that isn't going to be struggling with inflationary pressures.
1: Now, these inflationary pressures, from what you're saying, they're bigger than they were during the course of the pandemic with those things that uh, had supply chain issues.
2: During the pandemic, we had reported and talked a lot about the factories shutting down in China, shipping containers being all over the world in the wrong places, um, you know, a shortage of lorry drivers, which meant that ports were being jammed.
0: Port of Felixstowe says the vast majority of shipping containers are cleared for collection within minutes of arrival. The port says a shortage of lorry drivers and warehouse space inland
1: means the key is effectively being used as a storage facility.
2: So all of that was building in the system and actually not working through because price increases that they're having to deal with. Retailers can't pass immediately on to their customers, neither can manufacturers. It all tends to be on contracts. So There is always that kind of lag in between where the price shock is for them and the end customer paying a bit more.
1: Well, that's interesting. If there's a lag, does that mean that there are quite a few things that haven't increased in price so far that we can expect will do?
2: Yeah, definitely. That's why I think people are getting a bit nervous. That's why, you know, we think that inflation will peak later, like in the summer and for longer, because all of these pressures are building and what's happening in Ukraine – That's all going to add to it. There is this lag in the system and the pain hasn't come
1: yet. Which is a concern because there's an awful lot of people already feeling the pressure. So what are you hearing about how much higher, let's say, food prices, for example, might go?
2: At the start of the year last year, people were talking about 5%. And to give you an idea, people were nervous if you said 5%. Now it's just assumed 5% is like the lowest it's going to be and we had the boss of two sisters group which is the UK's biggest poultry maker say that it will go up to 10 to 15% this year and that's because of so many various factors. I mean if you're thinking of food prices and rearing an animal you've got the extra energy costs then fertilizer which is linked to russia is going through the roof it was 250 pounds a ton last year now it's a thousand pounds a ton whoa it's essential for farming you know and especially in arable farming feed which is about 60 percent of the cost of the bird has gone up quadruple the amount so all these price rises which are of such a huge proportion that they can't be absorbed by manufacturers
1: okay so presumably what you're saying is that there's a certain amount of the rise of costs that manufacturers will absorb without passing it on. There's a certain amount that retailers will absorb without passing it on. Hmm. But by and large, there's going to be a significant element that ends up with us, the consumers, willy-nilly.
2: There is only so much that they can take. And, you know, you hear how retailers are so aware that it's very competitive they can do all sorts like they can restructure their head offices you can see supermarkets get rid of their counter services you can see fashion retailers work with suppliers on different payment terms and stop making their garments slightly simpler and cheaper to produce but the extent of these cost pressures are so great that the buck is going to end up with the consumer.
1: Right, and where will we see the highest increases? Will they be in foods in the supermarkets and other shops, or are they going to be somewhere else?
2: The highest will probably be at the pump at the moment. That is something that is quite a regular purchase for lots of people.
1: That's 140 quid to fill that up now, and it used to be 95 before Christmas. You see the little bit at the end of the spreadsheet for you is just going down and down and down.
2: We're seeing that with our gas bills, we've all been told that it's going to be £700 more expensive at least this year. So that is going to be probably the biggest price chunk for us. But I think what we'll see is when it gets to kind of a year on, how much more expensive our grocery bills are. Because consumers can cut back on certain things. You know, you don't necessarily need that meal out. You don't need a new dress. But those essentials you need to buy and they're going to get considerably more expensive and meaning that you've got less share of your wallet to go on the nice fun things.
1: Which means that, for example, the hospitality industry will now be looking out very, very worried about its situation because not only does the food that it has to serve go up in price, but also it is one of the first places where consumers will look to cut their spending.
2: The hospitality industry has been hammered so much during the pandemic already Because they lost so many staff as well post-Brexit. They're having to pay huge amounts of wage inflation as well to, to keep staff. And as you say, the ingredients are going up. So they are facing such significant extra costs of business. And then you've got this added consumer instability.
1: That's what you might call the micro picture. The micro picture tells us why we find ourselves in this predicament. Here's the newest member of the Times business team, economics editor Mechrin Khan, to explain the big unseeing forces at work in the economy.
3: This is my second week in the job, which uh, has been dominated by one story, which is Russia and the war, but also the economic fallout, its geopolitical implications, what it means for our central banks, our governments. So it's a good time to hit the ground running.
1: It's an amazing time to change jobs and come to a newspaper At like The Times, isn't it? I mean, an extraordinary moment to do it.
3: The reason I, I enjoy this job so much is because of trying to demystify all of this stuff and having yeah. sat around tables with economists using complicated words and lots of jargon. Um, sometimes it's nice to just want to pierce through all of that and just
1: ask what it really means. Meherine, how do we know costs are going up? How do we measure price rises in this country?
3: Price rises are measured in a pretty simple way in this word that we band around called inflation. We hear inflation uh, spoken about a lot, but it has a very strict meaning in the UK, which usually refers to something called the Consumer Price Index. And that's a sort of metric which has been designed to reflect basically the average costs of goods and services that a household in the UK will face. It's made up of around 180,000 Average prices on over 700 goods and services and these range from food, energy, transport costs, rent, housing and taken all together in aggregate we call this term CPI inflation.
1: So essentially the inflation is the additional cost of that basket of goods on the basket of goods the previous year.
3: Exactly. So it's the average price rise. So quite literally, what has been inflated compared to this point last year and this metric in the UK goes back decades. And it changes every year. So it also reflects what modern life at any point of time in the UK looks like. So for example, we found out that suits were going to be falling out of the inflation basket because after two years of the pandemic, people aren't really dressing that formally. So that's something that is no longer going to be part of this average price of goods because it's not really part of how we live anymore. There are also different measures of inflation. The one that we've just spoken about, CPI, is the one which includes most things. But then to make it a little bit more nuanced and targeted policymakers also have something called core inflation, which strips out more volatile elements like energy. And they use that to maybe try and look through the noise a little bit. And like like I said, strip out things whose prices can move quite quickly year on year and give them maybe a more fundamental picture about what's going on with the cost of living and prices.
1: So as far as you're concerned, CPI is a pretty adequate measurement.
3: It gives you a really good sense of our changing spending habits, our changing lifestyles. And I think we've got to a relative sophistication in the way that we know about what people's lives are like and how the economy works that we've managed to come up with this pretty decent measure. One interesting thing about when you ask people, so households, about what they think will happen to inflation it's almost always slightly higher than what the actual rate of inflation is. And that's partly a psychological thing that people are far more sensitive to prices going up than they are going down. So we're far mm. more likely to notice in the supermarket where the price of our favorite chocolate bar has gone up or we think the size has decreased rather than the fact that, for example, energy costs in the UK have been falling for decades. So you need an inflation basket, which really gives you an empirical value about what the actual state of affairs is.
1: We've got an inflation basket. And it's showing that we have real inflation, isn't it?
3: Yes. The Bank of England targets a 2% inflation rate. We're now almost running triple that. In January, inflation hit 5.5%, which is the highest in 30 years. And according to some estimates, we could even hit 10% inflation by April.
1: Double-digit inflation by April is one possibility.
3: Is one possibility, and that's slightly overrunning what the Bank of England thinks, but we know that for the next couple of months, whatever the the actual figure is, inflation will keep going up.
1: Coming up, why have we got inflation now? And what can be done to stop it becoming what it was when I first became a journalist? Double-digit and apparently baked in. But first... A message from some colleagues. This
0: is Stig Abel and Asma Mir. We present the breakfast program on Times Radio every Monday to Thursday from six o'clock. We talk to the leading politicians in the country. We go all around the world. We cover important issues. We can only do that thanks to the subscribers of the Times and the Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash
1: stories of our times. <laughs> Meherine, let's take a loaf of bread, obvious staple item. What factors will be behind the increase in price of a loaf of bread?
3: That's a really good one because we can also try and isolate some of the more recent developments that happen. So if we think about a loaf of bread. Very simply, we can think about Wheat and wheat prices. So what determines the price of wheat? And in ordinary times, something like weather conditions are very important. If you have a flood or a drought in a particularly high-producing wheat area, that will raise the cost, which will then finally trickle down into the cost of a price of bread. Energy is another thing that you need to grow crops. This includes water and basic prices for energy that farmers use to develop and grow wheat. Transportation is another thing which has an energy cost attached to it because we import so much wheat and goods that make up the price of bread. So those are already three components. Energy, transportation and crops, which will go into deciding how much you pay for bread. And in the last couple of weeks, at least, we've had a war in the two countries known as the bread baskets of Europe and the world, which is Russia and Ukraine. Russia and Ukraine combined provide around a fifth of total exports to Europe and the Western world when it comes to basic cereals like wheat. So we know that food prices, based on the price of bread, are very likely to go up in the short term. One
1: of the things that occurs to me at this point is that when you talk about the kinds of things which go into a rise in the price of wheat and so on, uh, transportation, some of these are things which the consumer are going to get, in that case, twice because the consumer also pays the higher price for petrol.
3: You will be doubly exposed to prices. So oil prices, which you at the petrol pump, have almost direct impact on the price you're going to pay filling up your car. Gas, for example, which is the main form of electricity provided in the UK, is also going up. But that won't be felt probably until October when most people get their gas bill, which in the UK is twice a year. So there are some delayed impacts of global events on the price that you pay for your goods and services.
1: Let's try and separate some of these out a little bit, the causes. We know that the war in Ukraine, as you suggested, has going to have an effect on the cost of things, wheat, fuel, and so on. But the fact is that prices were already on the up before Vladimir Putin sent his forces into Ukraine. So what were we looking at even before that invasion was a likelihood?
3: Around the autumn of last year, we saw inflation and energy prices going up. And back then, the story very much was that the world economy was rebounding from the pandemic, which meant our demand, particularly demand in Asian economies, who had suffered some of the strictest lockdowns, were lifting these restrictions and it was increasing their demand for gas. Then we had this almost perfect storm of factors, which meant the energy prices in Europe were also going up because weather conditions meant that renewable energy, particularly solar and wind, didn't really contribute their parts of the energy mixes as would have expected. Europe was also suffering from chronically low levels of storage of gas, given the rising demand also in the European economies and in the UK, because we were also going through a period of slowly lifting restrictions. At that point, the narrative around energy prices and inflation was that it was very much transitory.
1: At the moment, what we're seeing is actually confirmation of the transitory nature of the inflation.
3: Recent bout of inflation will in fact prove transitory, or at least we're seeing early signs of that. Which is a word that we heard a lot from central bankers in particular, because they felt that this is a temporary phenomenon which will, by the time the spring comes around and our energy demand is lower, that inflation will go back to normal levels. The war in Ukraine was not a factor when we were thinking about where inflation would be only a few months ago. So now we have this additional and very, very significant conflict, which has meant that inflation is not only sustained, but is actually probably going to be much higher than we would have thought a few months ago when the global economy was rebounding from Covid.
1: The anticipation had been that round about now, we would be through the problems, the longer term problems of the pandemic. But I presume there were still going to be some hangovers that would take some time to clear.
3: Inflation works in quite strange ways. The one thing that policymakers really worry about is not just a war somewhere causing food prices to go up but something that they call secondary or second round inflation, which is when inflation can become entrenched in economy Mm. beyond these immediate kind of external shocks and events that happen. And that's something different. And that relies on... Households expecting higher prices, businesses then passing on those higher prices, and really crucially, people then asking for higher wages in response to the higher cost of living. And that's a kind of inflationary spiral, which means inflation could be here to stay.
1: Now, this strikes me as being a very important distinction you're making between if you like, what could be a relatively temporary blip in inflation in which people don't really change their behaviour. They complain about it, but they don't change their behaviour. And what you call entrenched inflation, where people anticipate price rises and act to meet them in terms of wage increases and presumably even retailers and manufacturers are planning their pricing strategy on the basis of
3: anticipated inflation. Economists love to say that inflation is a monetary phenomenon, which is true, but it's also a kind of emotional phenomenon, because if a household expects higher prices, a business will then give them those higher prices. And then, as you said, the sequencing of events and then asking for higher wages plays out. So managing a household's expectation of future price rises is just as important as what those price rises actually are in reality. So what we need to be hearing, and I think we will be hearing very soon, is lots of our central bankers and uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer and our policymakers basically trying to assure households that they've got a grip on what's going on.
1: Before we come on to the question of what uh, the Chancellor may or may not have to do, I just wanted to ask you a generational question. Now, Because I'm older, I remember high inflation, double-digit inflation, and the sets of mechanisms which we used to cope with it, and just how much it dominated our lives. As politicians of both government and opposition marched into the House of Lords to hear the Queen's speech, all were aware that Britain was in its worst economic crisis for more than 40 years, and that the coming year was going to be another round of
0: austerity and sacrifice
1: you're of a younger generation but the coming generation do you think that people your age really have any significant understanding of what that is like
3: no i mean compared to what happened in the 70s when Basically, the lights were switched off for a long time in the UK and the sort of emotional scars that left. We've never really found ourselves anywhere close to that. For most of my period as a journalist, I've never had to cover an interest rate rise from a central bank. That's actually only happened in the last couple of years. And the pandemic, again, put a stop to that. Most of the modern economic policy in the Western world has been about stimulating prices, stimulating demand and doing extraordinary creative things with our monetary policy to ensure that happens.
1: So when Rishi Sunak stands up in Parliament for the spring statement, you would anticipate that one of the first things he'll do is try to reassure people that we have a handle on inflation and that they don't need to expect it.
3: He will try and do his level best to assure us that the expectation of future inflation is under control, that the Bank of England is doing everything and so is the government to address Its role in this, which is about our cost of living. That's really where the government can step in with fiscal policy to help cushion the blow.
1: Well, let's go right there then. So, what would you expect him to do to cushion the blow?
3: It's not a full budget, which means he does not have levers that he can pull when we have our main budget where he can change all raft of measures on tax and spending. However, there are a couple of things that The Chancellor has already announced, which we saw late last year, which exists and could be improved. He announced that there would be a £200 rebate off everyone's energy bill this coming October. Now we know that gas prices are going to be much higher in those October bills. That £200 could be doubled. It is a loan, so people actually pay it back, so it's not quite a rebate. Then there are more, I think, significant things which he announced which would tighten the taxation burden on businesses and employees Which, given the new circumstances, could be delayed or in some cases even cancelled. The main one is the increase in national insurance, which is supposed to kick in in April. And that's now only a week away. One obvious thing would be to say, well, I kind of recognise that when I made this statement, the economy was in different shape and the pressure on households and businesses was different. So we will delay or maybe even scrap the whole increase to national insurance. And it would be a very direct way of saying that we are listening and we understand that events have turned in a different direction to what we expected only a couple of months ago and the government is standing behind some of its most poorest and vulnerable people.
1: Okay, now, last week we had this announcement to say that wages have fallen in real terms by 1%, which is the steepest decline since July 2014. This becomes a standard of living problem, not an inflation problem just, but a standard of living problem. People's money goes less far than it did. When you survey the overall scene, do you anticipate that this is going to get worse before it gets any better?
3: In the short run, I think the answer has to be yes, because we know the direction of inflation and it's much higher. However, inflation can be controlled and it has been controlled, but it usually has a cost. And usually that cost is felt by those who are worst off. Of course, we can do things like change our welfare policy and be much more creative about targeting vulnerable households. So, yes, the pain is still here. And I still think that our tolerance for it is going to have to be slightly higher in the next couple of months as people like the Bank of England and the government try and get hold on this.
1: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, Times Economics editor Meherine Kahn and Times Retail and Mergers and Acquisitions editor, Ashley Armstrong. You can read more of Meherine's and Ashley's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Oliver Adamson and Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by Tom Birchall. And if you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimesatthetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow.
3: Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, ...which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy... ...and explore the endlessly fascinating lives... ...who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry... ...as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's
2: best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend...